Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts there on that app, give us a follow. Tap a five-star rating and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there and hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. Uh, We're always eager to hear from you, so feel free to send us an email. Any uh, suggestions you have, nate at graystoryministries.com. You know, Grace Story Conference is coming up first weekend of November. We'd love for you to be there. Uh, we're in that final stretch before conference happens. Uh, amazing fellowship, uh, deep life-changing learning. If you haven't reserved your spot to join us, don't wait. Uh, you're wanted here. Uh, you're one of us. So come join our community of people who are leaning into courage when it feels scary and growing in their understanding of who God really is uh, and having fun along the way. It's a special thing, a uh, special event that you won't want to miss, and you you just won't find it anywhere else. Um, so head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. I got a special code for you for just the podcast listeners. It's podcast25. That'll save you 25% off of your admission. Um, and so go over there, type that in, and get your, uh, your uh, admission squared away over at conference podcast 25. Do that while you're listening and we'll see you at conference on that. Um, So today uh, for this episode, uh, we want to look at uh, uncovering the, how our physical bodies bear the weight of trauma and and how that uh, our, our faith plays a pivotal role in that journey to healing. Uh, Whether you're seeking to understand your own experience or you're trying to support a loved one who's been going through something, um, or just can't move past something, whatever it may be, uh, I think you're going to find today's insights uh, invaluable. Um, and for our uh, for our expert, we went out to uh, get an expert. It's a licensed counselor. It's Mariah uh, Sapp, and she's joining us from Thrive Point. Uh, and Mariah, glad to have you on Gray Story Podcast today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. It's nice to be here. It's a real pleasure to kind of come in and talk about anything to do with trauma, because that's the scary stuff. And I really want to make sure it's like um, achievable and, and bring some whole fullness back in. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, I mentioned in our previous podcast, the phrase I learned recently, no child goes through childhood unscathed. Um, mm-hmm. There's always some level, but you know, sometimes we put on ourselves the expectation. I know I did going to therapy. Uh, you want me to do it in six sessions? I got you in five. I'm going to achieve and get this over with. Uh, but it's really it's really a journey, as we'll find out. Um, just to start off, you know, there's all, all different sorts of terms for, um, you know, body keeps the score, body memory. Um, maybe let's just lay the groundwork in your uh, experience. Can you explain maybe the concept of body memory uh, what the definition is there, and, and maybe in layman's term, what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, I come at it from two different spots. I, I started as a um, a counselor, and I worked um, with a psychiatrist, and I came into the world knowing a lot about how really severe mental health worked inside of people's lives, and it does, as we all kind of starting to learn, it does come from trauma. And those places that we start um, affect how we memorize things. Like our brain has a lot of things in it and we, we store them and then the other things get attached to them. So those early memories 
even if you don't remember them, are stored in there and things get linked up. And then I went to massage school and became a medical massage therapist and did that for 10 years and layered that with my counseling. And I found a ton of information when the body is stressed, what comes out of that and what also becomes our story of our body and our brain together. So that's kind of where I'm coming at it from is the, the layers of those two pieces of anatomy and physiology and the brain and spirituality. So that's kind of my world. Yeah, there are there are detractors, of course, as I, I can already hear him listening in like, oh, here we go. Eastern medicine. Uh, OK, good. It, but it's it's kind of undeniable that there's a connection between your body and your brain, obviously, but it affects your body differently than your brain. Maybe let's dig there. How does trauma affect your physical body differently from from your brain? Yeah, I, I combine them so much. They, they just don't untangle too easily for me. So as we're talking about it, I really kind of look at what is your body doing that your brain has information from? I think the stomach itself sends more like 70% more information to the brain than the brain does to the stomach. Our bodies wow. are in charge. Wow. What happens to us physically incites all the memories to come up. And so one of the things I learned very early on is working with a, the psychiatrist and, and working with some couple, um, some individuals for trauma, they had such deep trauma that they just automatically did things. Like one of them was rocking in place, you know, you rock in place. You get really upset and you're crying, your body just naturally rocks. And I didn't understand that. And she's like, one of the things I really want, I want to figure out why I do this. And I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure, I'll look, I'll, I'll research for you. I don't know what this is. We'll see. We'll figure it out. I'm young. I don't know all the stuff. And I was going to massage school that night. And when I went into massage school, they taught us how to rock the body. You're laying face down on the massage table and you take the back right above the hips and you start rocking and you do it in an odd, uneven rocking setting it releases chemicals that calm your body, mm. right? Like, <laughs> and that's obvious because you think about when you're holding a baby and they're crying, you rock them and they calm down. And so that just lit my brain up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to go back the next week and tell this client, hey, we have reasons, please keep doing it. It calms the body down, mm. right? Like this is magic. <laughs> it's just human nature. God designed it. And here we are using it to make sure that we can get to our next level. I'm like, yes, crying releases chemicals to calm the body. Mm -hmm. Rocking does. And so when you get in the spot, I'm like, it takes the shame out. Oh my gosh, we can go straight into another spot if rocking doesn't cause more shame that I'm doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so this beauty of things started to unfold for me to hand to clients that were simple, small little things. So that's where I find the the excitement in. Yeah, you tied something in there because sometimes our reactions to trauma and coping with trauma can cause even more like, why do I even need this? I should be past this. I should be better than this. And you start into a shame cycle of uh, I am I'm I'm less than and, you know, I, I don't want anybody to actually know what's going on here with me. I guess you can't really, you know, be picked up and rocked as a baby as a, you know, <laughs> I'm a 200 plus 36 year old male. That'd be, that'd be kind of odd, but right. Yeah. But you can do that in rocking chairs. You can go running, you could go walking, you can do the rebounders to mm. kind of bounce and get your body to move because that's how we get toxins out too. 
So all those things that store up in the body when a trauma happens, a physical pain, an emotional pain, we end up with physical, emotional woundedness. They're stuck spots and you have to either physically massage them out repeatedly sometimes, or you've got to emotionally massage them out (laughs) with the help of a counselor or sometimes even just um, a friend, but a minister, somebody that has some abilities to guide you and help you through that. So that's where that, you know, comes in for the body and the brain in that connection. And I, I see them so intertwined, they're hard to pull apart. Well, and and you mentioned there a little bit of kind of putting in the back seat, unresolved, uh, just kind of building up. How does how does unresolved trauma impact your daily life, both both spiritually and physically? How does that yeah. if you if you don't deal with it, whether that's through some somatic method or through licensed counseling or you know help, if it's just sitting there, how does that manifest for for the the average individual in daily life? Yeah, um, I think it's in every moment, and I don't want to get too like microscopic because I think that does bring more of that shame and like hiding. Um, so I usually just say it comes out in the patterns of how we how we walk, how we hold ourselves, um, how we make eye contact, those small things. But that that spot just kind of trickles in and moves through every other part of our lives. So even if we can do like one shift through something that makes me go, oh, I have a place that I belong. And my God, it made me. I usually start with a lot of self-worth pieces when I'm doing some counseling because when we can find a place that we have that we know we are held tight, it creates so many possibilities that can you know, move through. The residual stuff that does stick around it shuts us down. It helps um, to contain our world, which makes us feel safe. You know, anybody that's got trauma, the residual trauma makes it want to to design your world so it shrinks. Mm-hmm. And that's really safe. But it also it shrinks it to the point that you don't have that outside people and you're not bouncing over and around in other relationships that are really tough but also that's the thing that heals us is kind of bouncing in there. So those residual holding spots can manifest as stomach, IBS, all those kind of areas of very um, destructive uh, digestion. Mm. And if you can't get toxins out in that way, then your body will try to sweat it out, go in through a different, um, you know, mechanism. We've got lots of different fluids that run through it, cranial fluids and, lymphatic fluids, it'll try to get them out in other ways. But when we have that trauma and we're not moving or we're emotionally stuck, it can get into locking down a lot of systems because we're always in that fight flight mode and our bodies don't go into that calming parasympathetic. So I can go really deep in there if we, if we want to go that way. No, yeah. Um, What are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the flight, fight, flight, freeze. Uh, There's even fawn. Uh, disassociation, all those things, but the main ones, fight, flight, freeze. Uh, and you touched on something I want to sidebar into because you mentioned kind of controlling your environment of creating your own environment, keeping it smaller. And I wonder your your thoughts on um, if you don't have outside help in determining and helping form your reality, um, some of those traumas that you're used to can feel comfortable 
at least in my own experience, you know, a little bit of chaos. I'm an emergency department nurse and a little bit of chaos feels comfortable to me. It slows down for me. I can think more clearly in those situations. And I think for others, it might, it might not look exactly like that, but it might look differently. You may create a small world uh, of, of comfort, and I'm just making this up, um, but a small world of comfort that is still, you know, just kind of chaos, but it's comfortable. Uh, but it's certainly not helpful. What, what are your thoughts on there on outside help of creating that uh, that comfortable space? Yeah, I, I do agree. It's very easy to do that. I am a mostly entirely a marriage counselor. And when I only have one person in the room, I feel it's too slow. Mm. <laughs> so I'm in that uh, two people. Yeah, give me that relationship. And I do a lot of this um, infinity loop in the air when I talk about relationship pieces. Because if I'm in the stress mode, and I'm just bouncing off of myself, I'm just going to echo my anxieties and my stress and my stomach problems and all the other symptoms that show up. If I have outside people, even if they're acquaintances, I'm bouncing into other people's stuff, which could be great or horrible, (laughs) but it is that dance in somebody else's world. And you get some feedback loops that can pull you out of those patterns of chaos, closed down, shut down, um, anxiety ridden pieces that can give you like, Oh, this is, this is not as scary. I can do this. I did this. I got back into my safe world and I walked out into it. I do hope for people to get the therapy that they need because I think a, a, a person that has been trained in trauma is very different than the friend zone yeah. because friends will help you just feel comfortable. It's a, it's a different world to go into the therapy and walk in as you know, that, is a very special spot to be open and create vulnerability and safety at the same time. Well, and I hear people when they, they talk and and I was there talk about going to therapy. They're like, I I don't know what I would even talk about. (laughs) What do I need to tell them that I need to work on? And it's not like that at all. You just go in and that's you wouldn't go to a doctor and say, what do I need to tell them that I need for medication? Um, you just walk in with your signs and symptoms and start a conversation. Um, but you don't, you don't even necessarily, there's that uh, story that we had a few episodes ago of, you know, the two fishes, uh, they're young, a bigger fish comes by and says, Hey, how's the water today? Like, huh? What's water? Uh, you know, if you're, if it's your environment, if it's all you've ever known, you may not know that something's wrong. Um, it's just what you know. Um, so with, with that, we talk about, uh, you know, a little bit, we touch on shame just a little bit, but uh, getting one story out there, and it's, it's Kurt Thompson who talks about emphasizing the role of storytelling in combating shame. How can how can you share your trauma story? Uh, rather, how would it lead to maybe both brain and body healing? Just if there's nothing else, you know, I someone walking in, I don't buy all this, but I, I do feel like I need to share my story. Going to a professional, how might that story? Uh, just sharing it lead to uh, some type of healing for both the brain and the body. That's a lot of um, possibilities in there. So I'll start with the spot of when you, when you decide to walk in and do therapy, um, it, it's almost like uh, I, I'm healed. You know, that spot of like, Oh, I made the appointment. I showed up. I don't even know if I need this now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a lot of people go through that spot of, wow, I, I feel better. Yeah. And you'll have that little raise up like, I, I'm, I'm good. I don't need that. Just go ahead and show up. <laughs> if you made the appointment two weeks ago or two days ago, show up. 
because if you needed it then, you're going to need it in two days or two weeks again. And that spot alone is powerful because that's a choice you created that is so out of step with where you've been. Mm. That alone is where I see people really stumble and go cancel in appointments, especially with trauma because you're meeting a new person. They're not safe. I'm not trustworthy the first time somebody walks in. I know I'm a trustworthy person, but they don't know that part, right? So, yeah, just show up. And you're basically looking to see if that person you're going to see is the person that you can open up to. Secondly, hopefully they have the information that will benefit you in your trauma and your recovery and that they have a map or direction that they're going to take you. But first, it's about relationship. That's the only way we can get out of our shame cycle is get into our honoring of people. And I do the opposite in infinity loops, the up down. I read a book. Um, well, I actually did a life group, but we it's called Jesus and Women. And the book is about, and I wish it was like all people, but this was a, specifically for a women's life group. It was about the spots that Jesus meets us. And in the Bible, it repeatedly says, he takes a lot of people out of shame and brokenness mm. and brings them to not just a spot of even and comfortable. He brings them to honor. Mm. They've never had that. And just showing up and having somebody go, oh, you have been seen. You have been heard. I had somebody the other day tell me it was a friend of mine, but they said, I've not said that to somebody before that way. And I feel like my stomach just relaxed. And that alone is what you're going in for just to start that part. That's kind of where the opening is. Yeah. I, I know there's, there's some that uh, may be a little skeptical um, of, uh, of the body brain connection, which, which is interesting to me because there's so many other ways that we, I, I mean, when someone goes deer hunting and they, they talk about that deer, uh, that deer high, you know, after you've got your, you've harvested your first buck and like, I'm shaking. Well, like, there's a brain connection there. There's all, you get on a roller coaster. We we know all these highs, but when it comes to some of the lows, it's like, hmm, no, that couldn't possibly be stored somewhere. I get that out. Uh, it, it it may not have. What would you what would you say to those people that might have? We'll call it potential skepticism, uh, specifically in, in the church world, Christians about having therapy surrounding that body brain connection. Um, I kind of go back to the spot of um, human beings have electrical impulses and chemistry. That's all we're made up of and cells and all the pieces. But the only thing that power us is chemicals and electricity, if though you're just looking at the body. And if you're looking at the body, it was made in the image of God. All of those things work together for the purpose of something. And creating that's going to be a real challenge. But if you know that you've had a trauma and every time you smell candles being blown out at birthdays, you recall a past event when your house caught on fire when you were a kid, that's a trauma and your body's going to automatically do a, it's tiny, but it's going to have a lot of chemicals that move through your body and electrical impulses right? They shock you back alive. <laughs> if you're in the medical field, they bring you back to life with electrical impulses that push you back into your heart beating. Well, that moment does create some other chemistry. And then you're at the birthday party and you have these feelings that show up and you're like, why am I upset? You may not even remember what the event is, but the feelings show up. 
And so that example of, you know, birthday candles inciting a spot that gives you a fear at a birthday party, and it's based out of something in the past, your body is reacting to it. And if you've ever broken a bone, you still have some little bit of trauma like around that because your body is still protecting that spot. Um, there's a, a guy that was in like the 1950s. His name's Alexander. And Alexander came up with this Alexander technique. He named it after himself. He was a speaker um, like in Shakespearean monologues. And he would lose his voice halfway through his monologue. And so he started like working with moving his neck and head and shoulders till he got it that he could walk through and read through an entire or speak through an entire monologue. And so he came up with how to use the muscles, you know, your yes and your nose. They have a forward motion and a backward motion and a left side and a right side. And you have muscles on both sides. If you have an injury like on the side of the neck, you're going to protect it. And so you're not going to move left or right as straight evenly as you would if you didn't. And so he found that people that had repetitive motion or an injury had this protective motion. And so they weren't using both muscles equally. And so he came up with a technique that you're laying on the table fully clothed and you're adjusting your body so that both muscles are balanced. You know, the yes, no one's the easiest. You find a spot and you find it and you're like, I'm using it with my whole body, my whole neck evenly. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the body and how it functions in the world. I hope Christians know that we have a body. <laughs> That's the part, like, it doesn't disturb our beliefs spiritually. It's just about the casing that we're in and how to use it and how it feeds into our whole loop that we have as spirituality and relationship. Well, you also mentioned the, the brain there, too, with uh, neuroplasticity, which we're, we're learning so yeah. much more about that. Uh, with the fact that our brain is malleable, uh, meaning it, it can change its structure, its actual physical physical structure, the yeah, function, yeah. and all of that in response to just experiences. Um, we have good memories, we have bad memories, of course, but those traumatic experiences uh, can alter things as well. So with that, talking about like how do how do you heal? How do because the you can have the people like, well, great, I'm just broken. I hear you. It, trauma damages the brain. I am brain damaged. And uh, there's another loop for me. But the, yeah. the the word integration comes to mind, healing through integration, talking EMDR, some of those so things. And that, that in itself can kind of freak people out. Like you're talking about me moving my eyes to some clicking noises and that's supposed to, what are you talking about? Um, that, with that? that one alone is amazing to think about. Um, just I, I love EMDR and I really haven't studied it a ton, but I have done it through the massage technique stuff because you're moving people. And at times I would do guided imagery, like think of a dog. You think of a dog, think of your calmest place and people think of the beach. You're changing the image or you're guiding it so that they can change it. That helps so much. But that spot of like, hey, how am I going to change these things without messing up my spirituality? Well, they are just making sure that you're in the present. And I know I'm taking a little bit further, but this spot of being in the present keeps me out of the past and out of the future. So that worry about, oh, no, it's going to happen again, or I'm going to fall in that hole that I've tripped in four times and broken my ankle once. We can stay in the present. It gets us more powerfully into 
the moment and we forget about some of the past and some of those can shrink. Some of those memories can shrink and EMDR helps to kind of untie the parts of the brain um, just to give a little more technical of how the brain works, but I'm not going to do super because I'm, I, you know, I try to keep it simple and I'm not amazing at remembering all the stuff. The spot about our brain, I always thought one moment in time was stored in one area in the brain. It's stored in many different spots, depending on what it is. So that birthday party you went to, or I went to, it would be stored in um, the smell that we can't really recover from. And we don't know that. We don't recall those easily. It's stored in one spot. Sounds are stored in another. Numbers are stored in another. Pictures are stored in another. So when that memory memorizes, it can be triggered by lots of different places. That's heavy. <laughs> like all this stuff coming at you. But once you get the feelings untied from the memory, the pictures or the sounds or the feelings are untied. Once they're untied, you can put that box in the back closet in your brain and it stays there. That's what the EMDR repetition left, right parts of our brain help us untie them. And it is very simply untying a memory. So it stores differently and that's all you're doing. You're not changing you know, your spiritual beliefs or your who you are, or how that is for the direction of your next path. It's about how am I storing the stuff in my brain? I memorized two plus two is five. Now I got to unmemorize it. I got to put it back into two plus two. And that's repetition. And you're doing that with a little bit more of touch, feel or a light bar. <laughs> that's kind of how I explain it. It's just a really simple pathway. Yeah, I like your your metaphor there of just untying because I hear sometimes uh, make sense of my trauma or make sense. I'm like, mm, I don't know if you're always going to be able to make sense of it. Um, yeah, that's scary, right? I don't want to go back in and try to make sense of it. It's probably irrational. Well, well, with a lot of traumas, it's something that should have never happened. So how yeah. are you going to make sense of it? Instead, maybe it's just understanding your reaction to it. Um because all you're talking about is moving towards being a functional adult self um, and, you know, decreasing those reactions, uh, those heightened startled responses, muscle tension, other physical manifestations you've already mentioned. Um, so with that, the, let, let's, uh, let's ask you this, because I, I wonder what's maybe one of the, the most surprising discoveries you've encountered about the, the trauma physical manifestations when it comes to the body brain connection. Um, I don't know that I can think of a, 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 exactly that. I think my most surprising spot that I get to is how all of us are carrying some piece of this around. Hmm. And that to me is like, oh no, it can't be true. Oh my goodness. We are all carrying some kind of physical response to something. I was walking my dog back in to the house before we started and there's always this trip zone in the driveway. And I was thinking about this and trauma and and how even just a little spot on the sidewalk or in the driveway is going to make me go, oh, pay attention. That is the injury that keeps us alive, safe. It also is the injury that can make me hold my breath. And when I hold my breath, I'm affecting every cell in my body. My brain doesn't get the oxygen. I tighten up my chest. My anxiety breathing goes here. My heart races. And so we all have those responses. And we have to go back and retrain and repeat, repeat, repeat. And giving ourselves that spot of like, okay, I passed the spot. 
I don't have to be in that trip zone anymore. I'm past it. Take a breath, reset instead of holding it the entire time of the next hour. So if that helps kind of, that's always surprising to me. We always have, we all in this world have some kind of response trauma. Well, in response trauma too, if you think about it, if you're not, if you're not actively pursuing what that's about and doing the, the, the intricate unraveling uh, of it, then you're just managing. You're just kind of yeah. carrying this around and managing it like, uh, like that guy that carries around the football with the nuclear codes. It's just always handcuffed <laughs> to you and you're walking around, uh, you know, it's just always going to be there. Yeah. Um, and that's, a, that's unsettling to think about. Um, it, that I, I hear what you're saying with this too. And it seems like a lot of it could go with or without, uh, and understand me here, Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. It's something, if it's something that is happening and I believe it is, the brain body connection with trauma with that you could disengage Christianity from it and just try to treat it. But yeah. I'd like to ask you, uh, how, how does faith, uh, and the faith journey influence the body's response to trauma? Why is it important in your, your, uh, opinion to keep the two, uh, together? Uh, good question. Yeah, in, in 30 uh, seconds or less. What, yeah. What um, I, I don't know how people live without a belief in, in God, but I definitely understand the confusion about who and what God might be. Yeah, yeah. We all struggle that. And I think that's the connection. If you feel that led to have that connection, it is a part of questioning who am I and who is this God that I'm trying to learn and be connected and have a relationship with. Once you get that, it, becomes a core inside of you. You're like, I have this no matter where I go. I have this trauma. It follows me around like a bad puppy dog. And I have this connection with a greater being that is my salvation, my my savior. That's warming. And if I just say that, I get kind of tingly because it has meaning to me. But other people, if they're in their rockier spots or when I have been, I may get really sad and cry. But that's a connection to whatever it is, if you're questioning who God is or what is that to you and your relationship with the world and God, you're connecting. And that's the only purpose that we really have to do is do connection. Just, just keep walking into it. It opens our heart to open the possibility of something being given in return. Is that kind of making Makes sense too. Oh yeah, it does. Cause I, I'll tell yeah. you it, it growing, growing up in church and uh, even for some, uh, you know, not growing, it's easy to just kind of make it an on off switch. Like you either believe in God or you don't, um, you either are in a relationship with God or you aren't, um, you either, like, it's a, it's a, not a continuum. you like, you, you, you repented or you didn't bless God. Um, and it can, uh, even, even me talking that way can be somewhat unsettling or deregulating for some individuals listening. But what you're saying, I, I, I remember hearing someone the other day talk about, uh, Job. Um, and he, uh, all, all through what he was doing, he was saying a lot of really, really emotional things to God that yeah. if you read through it, especially in language that's Painful. more contemporary. Yeah. You're like, are you allowed to say that to the creator? Like he should smite you. But then when it came to him and his friends, um, you know, he, he, he said 
that he loved what Job was saying, essentially. And the reason being, he never turned his face away. He directed all of it to God. And whether that's unbelief or that's anger or that's sadness or that's joy, whatever emotion, as long as we are keeping our face towards God, that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense there. I had one friend say too, and I loved it, um, as they're moving through what what is, what isn't, who God is, what it it, it came down to, if there's just a hope, I'd like to hang on to that hope. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, that's its own journey. It's a faith journey, uh, wherever you are. Um, yeah. So, with that, let, let's let's kind of pivot over to that since we're already kind of talking about it. How yeah. How can uh, uh, Christian communities uh, better support those with trauma when it comes to this? Yeah, um, I would say as you're coming up with how to support the individual part is. Um, if you will grab the Bible and go through, if you're still in that crying out phase, like you said, Job did a lot of crying out to God and it was not pleasant. And I would think it was very angry at God, but it still was connected with him. Then go to the Psalms. Like a third of the Psalms are a lament, a sadness, a crying out to God. And that's, if you can't even find your own words, that's what God wants. He wants a crying out to him. That's the connection that we have ability to connect. Yeah. And God, God can take it. Um, yep. God is open. <laughs> the, the fact that God not only like looks on us, but his heart goes out to us. Like he loves us so much that it's not yeah. just, he's looking on us in pity and you know, like, Oh, I'm going to help them out of pit. No, it's his heart, his heart going out to us. Uh, yeah, that connection, we're made for relationship. We're made to glorify God, yes, but we're also made for relationship. And God wants that relationship. So bring it on. Bring it all. Yeah. He already knows about ne- it. <laughs> yeah. And then the next part I think that churches or um, yeah. communities, Christian communities can do is try to sit with people in it instead of moving them forward quickly. Mm. Because I think sometimes we jump in and we're like, we're going to help them, help them, help them. But help them, helping can be a a push and a you're not good enough spot that we, we design. We don't really realize that we're thinking we're helping them out and giving them a hand into what they really want and what they need. We need to sit with our people that are coming in that are traumatized and hurting and just sit there and be a part of a a listening ear that they've not had before designing or helping them design what's next and where they're going, because that's, that's love to sit in the uncomfortable mess that's what Jesus does. He sits in our uncomfortable mess and stays with us, even though we have a lot of brokenness that we toss around at everybody, including him. But that's what I think our churches need is to sit in and just be in the listening. And like you said, the story of, with um, telling the story, it is important to find the story, but not just the story of the pain, but the story of where are my ups and downs? Where did I do something really well? Where did something come in that was, I don't even know who helped. Maybe it was God. And finding those ups and downs can be repeating the story many times, not repeating it to feel horrible, but repeating it so that it's a shorter story. That's kind of the cognitive behavior therapy for trauma is kind of designing it. So it's a shorter story that you can have in your memory, but it doesn't keep popping up because it's got a a lot of emotional untied areas. And so when it's connected like that, you can design that storyline. And when you do, it does help your brain 
to have that repeatedly like, yes, this happened in the past. This is the now. And this is what I'm designing for the future. That story doesn't end and stay in that past and then that pain because that's just, you know, putting your hand back in the fire of what you've gone through. And that therapy has never been amazing to me, that returning back to um, trauma and re-experiencing it. It's, it's not a good path. Um, there's lots of other therapies that can help EMDR, um, a few others, but that's one of them that I really like is just how do you calm the body so you can tell the past and then get to the present and then design the future. And I hope that the, the churches and the biblical counseling can, can be directed in that way too. Well, that can, uh, that can sometimes go against what, you know, a, 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 an agenda, maybe that's not the best word, but the didactic of a, of a church, like, okay, so you've made this decision. Here's the next thing. And we're walking in all the light we've been given. So baptism's next. And this is what, wait, why are you taking so long to make this decision? Uh, you know, and sympathy and empathy are different, of course. And, and it was Kathy Sprinkle who said, yeah. uh, empathy actually costs us something. You know, you have to, you have to go back into your uncomfortable moments and try to find something as similar as you can to try to feel along with the other person. I don't want to do That's that. Wonderful. I don't, I don't want to no. do that. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Let's just do the baptism and move on. Uh, but it costs us something um, and it's slow and it's not on a timetable. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how long, uh, let, let, let's ask that question. When people are coming in and you're working through these, these things of calming, it seems to me that someone coming in, you know, might already be having some type of trauma response just talking to you, um, and then you're going to help them calm down. How long is this going to take, and when will I be zen? Um, yeah. How do I do um, that? Yeah. Zen's not in that. It's a totally non-Christian view. <laughs> Nate. Yeah. I brought it in. That's my, send, the, send the email, nate at graystoryministries.com. We, will, we yeah. will address that. Yes. Um I, I always like to have skill sets first. And I think a lot of, of really good counselors do that is getting in the skill sets of how do you deal with your biggest trauma responses when your brain and body shut down? What do you do in those moments? So I, I would I would say your best responses um, from people that do get through their trauma is that they are working through how to calm the body when that past event pops in like it's now and how to get back into the now. And that takes a few sessions because you got to start trusting this person that you've never met. And then you've got to go to the next spot of learning some skills, trying them out, experimenting. And then you can enter into these areas that are so uncomfortable. I've not talked about them before. And it can take, it can take quite a while. It doesn't have to be like weekly sessions, but it can take probably six months, sometimes a year. Um, it's a really deep process to kind of trust somebody and then go back in and out of real life. That's a heavy, heavy load to keep coming back and going, okay, I guess I got to open this box or I got to learn a new skill if I'm not open the box today. Mm. And it's a recalculating your brain and body, but you can redesign your brain. You can redesign your habits to process the, the stuff or store it differently. So it doesn't keep popping out of the closet and bothering your present. Well, and again, there there comes in that that shame dynamic because if you're like, why do I even have to work on this? Why is my brain so broken that it that it does this to me? But one thing that was helpful for me, and I'd love your thoughts on this, the reframing of my younger selves in different stages 
were so intent on survival and getting me to the point where I am today that they developed these behaviors that in the moment were helpful for me to survive the situation. But now in my functional adult self, I find them unhelpful. Yeah. I think the one that becomes the biggest maladaptive um, response from trauma events, especially in childhood, to the adult self is protecting other people's feelings. That codependency word comes in and and we can skip over it a little bit because the whole point is to say, when I was young and something happened to me, if it was an ongoing thing, I learned that if I did or didn't do this stuff, then I didn't have this or this happen. Brilliant, like you said, helps with that deciding what I am going to try to stay out of. And I'm going to put it in quotes that I can control other people's feelings. We can't. We've designed the environment to lessen the possibility, but we've also designed it for our future self, our grown self, to try to accommodate and rescue other people from their anger, sadness, whatever. And in that way, we continue the pattern. And it's very painful pattern to go in and like to the next relationship and bring in this, oh, I'm going to try to make sure you're not angry or that I can always make you happy right? Like that's a painful spot to continue. It's a lot of effort. Well, and, and it, I, it brings it out to isolation. So as you're trying to protect yourself, the easiest thing is just to put yourself in a box of bubble wrap and like not interact, <laughs> not interact with other people because that's where the unknown is. That's where the variables are. So if I can control those so that and having, being a being uh, that is, uh, all about relationship, uh, that that just exacerbates everything. That so let's let's ask this: how does uh, how does this relate? Well, all we're talking about to the way trauma isolates individuals, the shame, the hiding, the lack of connection. Do you just like one day get into tra- trauma therapy and you're like, okay, I'm going to become an extrovert after all these therapy sessions are done? <laughs> connection. Boom, bam, boom, never hurt again Um, because I've learned some tools. How does that work uh, to get out of that isolation side of things? I I really like to emphasize that God made us in a multiple uh, kind of styles. Like there is nobody that's going to be the same and introvert and extrovert. That's kind of opposites. I don't know that God ever wants us to to change who we are, like ourselves, but we got to change some of the things we do. And in that way, it may be very uncomfortable to still go out and be around some people or find a new hobby that you're going to be around a new acquaintance often. Um, but learning that is going to be vital to continuing. You know, if you're not moving forward, you're not you're you're moving backwards. <laughs> like those are the only two options. We are living beings. We're going to just like your cells always move. You are moving and growing no matter if you wanted to or not. In which way are you wanting to go? And usually most people, I just say, if you're going down the path and it's not working, it's usually like a one or 5% switch, like adjustment, and you're going a totally different way. That's all the effort that's really needed, but it's got to be consistent. And that's the vital part is just recovering through, reaching out, because once you get healthy enough, there's somebody next to you that's not, whether they're a Christian or they're not a Christian. And so it's about getting healthy enough not perfect because none of us are, 
to start reaching out and understanding each other. And empathy is a lot easier if you see yourself as broken because you can stay in that spot and go, oh, I've been there. Oh, that's me, right? In some of those ways. And if I get to that one up stage, I've lost that ability to be empathetic. And that's what's really needed with our, you know, in our, in our churches and everything in our neighborhoods is to reach other people just by being human and saying, yeah, I've, I've been there. I can see that and helping from where they need, not where I want to give. Well, there, there is a right way to do things, which there is also a wrong way to do things. And, and it's not, it's not always, I'm working on a podcast episode on, you know, intent and, you know, the unintentional damage that happens from, from groups. Um, And it can be one of those things when, as we're going on our journey, if people don't really know what they're doing to help you, they're not sitting there in it. They're not trying to understand. They're trying to just get you out. Like, why don't you just leave the situation? You know, that it's the, the house is on fire. Like, let's go, which I get, that makes sense to me too. Um, but there are different ways that maybe the, the church, uh, and, and the body of Christ goes about helping individuals that aren't helpful and are more shameful and just, um, behavior control. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, one example, um, of, you know, using the, the adage of, you know, what would, what would so-and-so think? What would your pastor think? What would your dad think? Um, and that just denotes shame coming out of it. Um, with the church, I, I, we've already talked about how important it is to do this right, but are there ways to constructively call out that, first of all, what do you think of that type of behavior, um, at using shame as a tool to move people in the right direction, uh, what, whatever the right direction may be. And then also, are there ways that you would recommend constructively calling out, uh, educating, uh, pointing out these, these, uh, what can be either hurtful, unhelpful, or unintentionally damaging moments uh, for people that we're adults, not kids, um, and we're making choices. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts there? Um, I, th- I think, and I hope, and I haven't seen it more recently. I know they still exist, but I've, I, I, I don't want anybody having the shame. And I also want people to have like a barrier that they don't allow that person's stuff to come straight in because it is a spot that some people, like you said, unintentionally toss stuff and anything that's coming at you. I have a visual that I was, I I kind of picture myself and I've used it with other like clients and I, I have a, a picture of a bowl in front of me. So anybody that says something, I put it in the bowl and then I look at it and intently be curious, um, be examining it before I take it in as that's my truth. So it's a, hey, somebody may be throwing that at me intentionally or unintentionally throwing shame. And I I don't want everybody to put up like their block, like Wonder Woman blocking it. I want them to be able to put it in a bowl and go, oh, that's trash. I'm going to throw that away. (laughs) Or, oh, I have had four people tell me that exact same thing. I probably should put it over the side and look at a few more times because it's probably my truth and I don't want to believe it. (laughs) Right. And so I think it's both sides and I don't want to say that you're responsible for accepting shame, but I do want to say that you really want to, as the person, uh, as the person that's been hurt to be very aware and be more respect and, and designing what you want inside of you. 
And that most people that have had trauma cannot do that very well. It's very tough. They're like, wait, I have the ability to say that's not me. And they've said it to me. Yeah, you either need to get further away from that or you need to say, oh, that was unintentional. It was sarcasm. Supposed to be humor. (laughs) It was not. I need to throw that one away or call them out and say, hey, I don't appreciate that. That was very hurtful. And look for that apology so that it is a relationship from that. And if it's a design from a church, you may need to step into that spot the same way. I don't think any church um, minister or uh, biblical counselor would um, be offended if you said, I don't know that that's helpful. I'm not sure I can take that in as something that is going to help me grow. And I hope that I would be able to accept that and go, oh, well, let's look at that. I didn't think of it that way for, you know, as the biblical counselor, I'd hope they'd be able to stay in that relationship and do that work. Whew, right. <laughs> Let, let's uh, let's put ourselves in the hot seat. And again, yeah. the email is Nate at Grace Story Ministries dot com. Um, <laughs> Because that, that kind of, as you're talking about there, you, you already kind of brought up the idea of codependency. We're talking about individuals with a, a body-brain connection. Uh, there's trauma. Uh, everyone's in that boat. Uh, there's no, they're, they're, yeah, we're all broken. Um, is it okay, in your professional opinion, with all the caveats, as you're listening to a sermon from a minister to put what they're saying in the bowl and consider it, or is it something where, no, I just need to listen to it because I hear some, this is this is coming from the pulpit, and I just need to listen to the unfiltered uh, word of God here, which is great. Is it okay to put that in the bowl and consider it? Um, what, what does that look like for you when it comes to the pulpit? That's a hot question. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I told you the hot seat. You know, there's already people, you know, they got their opinion. What, what, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I would hope that you that all of us would. Because um, any of the ministers I've known that uh, that I would sit under their authority of a church leader um, would have that openness and sometimes even announce it. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say my minister this past Sunday said, um, hey, uh, if there's something in here that is uh, heresy, please let me know this week because I had a late night or I can't remember what his world was, but he said I had a late night. So if there's a line in here, please let me know. They are held to a higher standard. They have that. Uh, they have that. That God is going to look at their um, what they've done differently than the rest of us. And I think that's true of counselors too. It's not in the Bible that says that, but it is very much a very heavy spot to take on. And it's authoritative, and, and it's dangerous to think that we could use that to, you know, just say, well, they know better than I do. Well, go look it up or ask the minister, where'd you get that? Um, I've had a couple times I've gone to churches, and this is a long time ago, but I've gone to churches and they didn't even read anything out of the Bible. They didn't even pick up a verse or like quote something. And I'm like, where are we? And then it came out a month later in both of the ones I'm thinking of that there was um, a sin, like sexual sin in one of them and a personal sin and another financial sin in the other. And I was like, Obviously, we need to question some of that stuff and maybe not all the time because I think that's overprotective, but just making sure that we're bringing it up to the surface that I'm still in charge and I have my abilities to bring it in and question it or go ask the person that said it, what do you think? And that takes a lot of community (laughs) if I'm double checking a lot of that stuff inside of just accepting it as really good food for the soul. 
Well, and, and sometimes those questions can be, it's a red flag if they're pushed back on with um, the one that I kind of grew up with was, well, where's your heart on that? Why are you asking these questions? What is, what is that about? Um, That's more ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that hurts, especially as, you know, a young kid where you're like, oh, actually, I don't know. Let me go pray about it. I don't, I never thought about it that way. Um, yeah. we're, so we're almost out of time or we're, yeah. but I got oh, a couple of gone fast. Yeah. A couple of things <laughs> yeah. here before we, one thing before we go to a final thought here, cause we've talked about, you know, the, the concept of the body memory, um, how brain and body interact in, in, with trauma, its effects, the physiological responses to trauma. Um, and, and we also got off on some tangents as well, which I always love. It's great. <laughs> um, but when it comes to actually kind of working through, we mentioned going to a counselor for this, but what other therapeutic exercises, um, maybe your top few or one or two is certainly rooted in Christian practice, but what are some of your favorite ways to start working on this body brain connection, um, for individuals? Yeah. Um, I really, uh, found this helpful and, and it may not be for everybody because it has a openness that you need to be very focused. And so if you're not in the spot that you can focus for like three minutes, don't do it. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's called contemplative prayer, and it comes in a spot of um, being able to focus on a verse. They ask you more to sit or stand, not lay down so you don't fall asleep. I've fallen asleep using it. And then you use that verse and you repeat it and you read it and read it. And then you pick one word out of it and you stay on that word. And the goal is, this is the harder part, is making sure that you're thinking about it in the terms of your relationship with God, that that loop. If you're using it and your brain just starts wandering, then it's not contemplative prayer. That's just random, you know, brainstorming. So if you're able to stay in that focus for even like three minutes, it gets you more centered. Um, the whole thing that's the body brain part of that is that the more you focus, the better your attention is for like the next 24 hours or something. That's amazing, right? Just being able to focus in on something, whether it's work or whether it's prayer, for a few minutes affects the length of time that you have more attention later. Wild. Exercise is another one. Um, you know, I don't know how it would go back into biblical terms, but there was a lot of people that did a lot of movement back then, and we sit around a lot, so... You know, if you think of like, um, yeah, the Israelites, they did a lot of walking, <laughs> they did a lot of movement. Um, I don't know that we can push that that far, but that's one of my other things I usually tell people is start moving. That's usually really hard if you have trauma. So I don't always expect that. Um, I like the Psalms. I think I mentioned that one. I like going back into those. Sometimes you can do the praising out of like David writing in the Psalms, but a lot of times it's the lament. And uh, just put your own words in it and read it, you know, like read it as the Bible or make it your own lament off of something that you've read from one of the Psalms. Um, yeah, that's the that's the part that I think is really important. And the, the body brain part, the simple hitting of the um, vagus nerve. We didn't talk about this. It probably could be a whole nother conversation. When you breathe, when you sing. Uh, when you exercise, it hits the vagus nerve, and that resets all of your physical, like heart rate, your breathing, all those kind of parts. And so I like the crocodile breathing where you lay on your stomach. When you lay on your stomach on the floor, you can't move 
your stomach any further than the floor so your back moves and then you fill up your whole lungs and when you're anxious breathing you're like this but when you're doing the crocodile breathing you're full breath your whole lungs fill up hits the diaphragm diaphragm hits the vagus nerve and starts regulating stuff easy simple straightforward when we have the worst of our times usually you're laying on a floor somewhere so just make sure your stomach's down on the floor start breathing and crying out to God is the next step because that's the connection back from ourselves back to God. Yeah, having having our face turned towards him and yeah, thinking about how, you know, there's a lot of talk lately in the last 5 to 10 years and, and certainly beyond that, but the emphasis on our identity in Christ and certainly so um but I think as we're we're moving through that the thought of living from that instead of towards it like I have to achieve, I have to move towards my identity in Christ. I'm not even sure I've made that full flip yet, but instead of living from uh, the identity in Christ and yeah, just breathe, just breathe. Well, before I let you go, uh, we have uh, kind of here at the end an opportunity for, I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the Grace Story community. Uh, If there's a final thought you have on what we've talked about um, or just something you've thought about lately, if you could say anything to the Grace Story community uh, from from Mariah, what would that be? I think the other part that I have been thinking about when I was getting ready to talk to you the past week or so was um, the story of Esther and that whole part of God was in it without really being spoken in the book of Esther. And there is a part of it where she has to go along with Mordecai and all these other Jews 11 months, I think might have been nine, but I think it's 11, that they knew they were going to die, that they would be killed because of a decree that was passed. Talk about trauma and how they went through it. Esther leaned into her cousin, Mordecai, asked for prayer. Mordecai did a lot of fasting and a lot of prayer himself for the Jewish people. We are meant to have those kind of storylines. Whether you're one that talks about it or not, it's just about connecting to others and connecting to God. That connection, uh, requiring vulnerability, requiring mm, yeah. being known. Uh, and you can you can fake it, uh, but it's not going to be helpful or beneficial. Um, and there's so much more if, if you'll have that vulnerability. Um, Mariah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your expertise with the Grace Story community. Thank you very much, Nate. It's been a really enjoyable time and I really appreciate all the knowledge you have as well. Thank you. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, Again, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go over there, give us a follow, tap that five-star rating and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there, hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. Uh, Go to greatstoryministries.com and use that podcast 25 code to sign up for a conference uh, uh, coming up first weekend of November. Uh, We're always eager to hear from you. Feel free to email us with any suggestions for your topics, your thoughts, or your feedback. That's nate at graystoryministries.com. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged. Continue on your journey of restoration. We'll see you in two weeks for a new episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you.